ومن أحسن قولا ممن دعا إلى الله وعمل صالحا وقال إنني من المسلمين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولهما بعد I welcome you to another episode of our regular Q&A and today inshallah we'll jump straight in. Our first question from Brother Anouk from the Netherlands. He asks about uh, in the month of Ramadan the timings of suhoor and he says he is confused because he has heard a lot of this controversy about the angle. Some say 14 degrees, some 15, some 18. And to add to this sister Muniza from the Emirates asks that in her prayer app she has the option of choosing multiple timings for Fajr and for Isha. She mentions there's the Ummul Qura timing, the Muslim League timing, Isna timing, the Islamabad timing uh, methods. So which one should she use and what is this all about? Now, uh, this question is of course very relevant to us because Ramadan is around the corner. And uh, those of us living in, in uh, uh, Western lands or using apps, uh, we have the uh, added confusion and controversy of having different timings depending on which masjid prints it. There might be two masjids in the literally same vicinity, but uh, the timings of imsak or stopping to eat suhoor are maybe 20-30 minutes uh, apart and different from one another. And it gets confusing and to add to this, we can actually calculate different timings based upon the app. The app that I have actually, I looked at it today, there's seven different choices. I have the option to choose uh, which uh, angle to put and which uh, group of scholars uh, you know has uh, the timings of the suhoor so this is actually a very very interesting question where is this controversy coming from and what should the Muslim uh, average Muslim do in order to figure out what time they should stop uh, eating and drinking what time the suhoor ends which is of course the beginning time of uh, Fajr now I'm gonna respond in a generic manner and then in an academic manner the generic manner is as follows the average Muslim should not be figuring out himself or herself which position they want to follow. Simple as that. If you're living in a Muslim majority land, if you're living in a land of Islam, you follow the timetables that your um, Islamic affairs ministry, that your mufti provides and you leave it at that. You individually are not going to break away from the jama'ah, from the uh, congregation of Muslims and whatever timings that the official ministry announces, uh, that the official mufti of your land announces, then stick with the jama'ah and indeed that is where the barakah will lie. And if you are living in a uh, minority uh, land like we are in America or other places, then my advice to you is to follow the masjid that you usually pray at and the masjid that you associate with and the masjid that you pray jumu'ah in. And again, don't worry about the academic discussions this is not something the average Muslim does not go and uh, you know sift through the fatwas and choose the fatwa that they think is uh, you know the one that they that they should choose this is done by those who are qualified in my entire Q&A I try to give you the the, the alternative opinions uh, in order that if you're Hanafi Shafi Malik whatever you can uh, you can choose uh, that position or if you wish to follow uh, the position that is uh, uh, considered to be uh, or the, the position that uh, I personally for example follow uh, uh, that too, for example, if you are following overall the positions, then inshallah, that is something that it is up to you. However, what you cannot do is, as we said, pick and choose every single time a new controversy comes. So if you are 
following your local masjid, alhamdulillah. Now, suppose you are a part of the board of the masjid and you need to decide which uh, you know, of these positions are you going to follow. Or you're simply a curious listener. You're gonna follow your local masjid, but you're a student of knowledge. You wanna know where is this controversy coming from? Well, in order to answer that, inshallah, we'll go into a bit more detail. But again, I want to emphasize that this is just information purposes only. It is not meant for you to go against your own uh, group that, uh, or community or masjid. Indeed, unity is far more better than following a fiqh position that uh, there is plenty of diversity in. And uh, Allah's barakah and Allah's hand is over the jama'ah of the uh, Muslims. Now, uh, in this uh, regard, in this regard, uh, we need to say that uh, these differences that we're talking about, they actually don't really matter if you're close to the equator. If you follow the Ummul Qura, uh, or if you follow the Isna, or if you follow this, in reality, if you're close to the equator, these different methods barely affect the timings. However, if you go very much north or south, the closer you are to uh, the two poles, this is where these time changes are manifested. And uh, in some cities, for example, even here in North America, uh, if you follow one position, you might have a 40 minute gap or a 50 minute gap, and I know that that in some places in England, you might even have a, an hour and a half gap between the two methodologies. So it does in fact become a much bigger issue the higher up you go in uh, latitude. And the two timings that we are particularly concerned with are the timings of the beginning of the Fajr, which is the end time of the uh, eating suhoor and the beginning of Isha. And we are more concerned with the beginning of Fajr because obviously that's when we're going to be eating our suhoor. And the uh, we need to understand that the beginning of Fajr and also the beginning of Isha, these two times are not times that can be calculated precisely. Rather, they are a generic time frame depending on the observation of the eye. Allah says in the Quran, فَكُلُوا وَشْرَبُوا حَتَّى يَتَبَيَّنَ لَكُمُ الْخَيْطُ الْأَبْيَضُ مِنَ الْخَيْطِ الْأَسْوَدِ مِنَ الْفَجْرِ Eat and drink until you can discern, differentiate, tell the difference between the white thread of dawn from the black thread of the night, okay? This is a verse in the Quran. And the Prophet interpreted it that you can see the entire horizon light up in a uh, horizontal thread, horizontal white thread. That is the time that the true dawn begins because there's something called a false dawn. And the false dawn is when you see the twinkling, when you see some brightness of the sun, but it's not horizontal, it is vertical. And slowly but surely, that vertical becomes more and more until you see that clear horizontal. That is the time when we're supposed to stop our suhoor and we're allowed to pray uh, fajr. However, that timing is not something that is dependent 100% on the position of the sun, but rather on multiple factors. It depends on the light that is that our eyes are able to uh, catch. And that amount of light is not scientifically predictable via an equation for each and every location on earth. In fact, it varies from season to season. And place, altitude, if you're on the top of a mountain, it's not gonna be the same. If your city is higher up from sea level, it's not gonna be the same as if it is at sea level. It varies depending on geographical barriers and many other factors. In fact, it even varies on your own perception and the, the, the um, uh, uh, how powerful your eyes are. You know, So weak eyes, perceptive eyes, all of this is going to be, and also judgment, there's a judgment. When exactly does that full line come? And to give you an example, 
example, let's uh, give you an, a diagram. Let's move on to our first diagram. I have a number of diagrams to show you. Let's move on to our first diagram here. So you see over here that the sun rises from the east and sets in the west, right? We understand this. The sun rises in the east uh, from our perspective and sets in the west. And when the sun is rising from the east, when the sun is below the horizon, by around 18 degrees or so, there is a time known as twilight. And twilight means that the sun is not actually visible, but the rays of the sun are visible to us, okay? So the rays of the sun, they start glowing and they start uh, showing certain things around us, but the sun itself is not visible. Then of course the sun rises and it keeps on going all the way down and then it goes uh, to the west side. For us, obviously I'm being relative, obviously the sun itself does not you know, go east or west, it is the earth that does that, but still from our perspective, the sun rises in the east, sets in the west. And when it sets in the west, once again, the same thing happens. As soon as the sun sets, as soon as the sun sets, there is some time, that twilight time, that we can still see things. And then Isha comes when that twilight time finishes. So we see the beginning of Fajr and the beginning of Isha are essentially the, 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 the two opposites of the sun rising and the sun setting, um, not, meaning the, uh, when you include the twilights, right? So not the actual sunrise and sunset. The actual sunrise is the end time of Fajr. The actual sunrise is when Fajr ends. And we are talking about when Fajr begins, which is uh, that, that gray area of the twilight. And the sunset is when Maghrib begins. And then when the twilight finishes, when the uh, reddishness of the sky finishes, then Isha begins, okay? Uh, now we can move back inshallah. So to make things, uh, to make things more uh, complex, uh, in fact, that area of twilight is actually not one area. There are actually multiple areas within it. And you also have to consider the fact that every single person, when they look at the horizon, they're not necessarily seeing the actual horizon. There are many, many factors that come into play. Sometimes the horizon is obscured by trees, by buildings, by mountains. Sometimes, uh, you're, uh, of course, if you're in the ocean, that is the ideal, uh, if you like, horizon. That's really the best horizon that you have over there. But the main point I want to emphasize, we saw that twilight area. In reality, that twilight area can be subdivided into many different categories. And this is what the astronomers have done from the beginning of time and especially in our times they have it down to a science. So if we can look at the second uh, slide over here, we can see the actual zones that uh, uh, astronomers have demarcated for the angles of the sun vis-a-vis -vis the horizon. And we see very clearly that what we call twilight is actually at least three different levels or layers. And that is astronomical twilight, nautical twilight, and civil twilight. And so in reality, there are three different dawns from a purely astronomical perspective. There's an astronomical dawn, there's a nautical dawn, and there is a civil dawn. And the civil twilight, which is of course the closest to the sunrise and sunset, the civil twilight is when the uh, the sun is the, the the light of the sun is still bright enough that we don't actually need uh, any artificial light. So if we're walking outside, you know, after we pray Fajr and before the sun rises, right? So right before the sun rises, in fact, it is so bright and so beautiful that really you don't need any light. That is the civil, uh, that is the civil twilight. Uh, and before that is the nautical twilight. And the nautical twilight is defined to be when the geometric center 
of the sun is 12 degrees below the horizon in the morning. And it ends when the geometric center is six degrees in the morning. And you can also say that nautical twilight is when the horizon at sea, that's why it's called nautical, when the horizon at sea level is no longer visible and altitudes cannot be determined by referring to the horizon. That's why it's called nautical because it does play a role when you're in the ocean. And then we have astronomical twilight. And astronomical twilight begins, obviously, after astronomical dawn, when the geometric center of the sun is 18 degrees below the horizon in the morning. And it ends when the geometric center of the sun is 12 degrees below the horizon uh, and the uh, nighttime. So we have here astronomical, nautical, and civil. Okay, now what I want you to understand is very, very important here. I hope you guys are paying attention to this, to this sign, to this um, uh, diagram in front of us. What I want you to understand is that most of the Islamic apps and many of the fatwas from earlier time frames, which have been replicated to our time frames, they took the notion of astronomical twilight, which is 18 degrees, and they said that is the time for imsak. And they base this primarily on the fact that that is the definition of astronomical twilight. Now we can get back to uh, the, the, the lecture here, was the, the diagram is now done. The point here is that the shari time of imsak, the shari time of not eating and drinking is not related to the astronomical definitions. And in fact, it is in between the uh, astronomical twilight uh, the astronomical dawn and the nautical dawn. The shar'i imsak is not the same as the astronomical dawn because the shar'i imsak is not defined by the astronomical dawn. The shar'i imsak is defined by the Quranic verse that you can eat and drink until the whitish thread is separate from the darkish thread or the black thread and the versus the white thread, meaning the threads of the horizon here. And therefore, because the shari imsak, because the time frame of not eating and drinking is in between those two, you cannot have a precise equation that measures an out because as we said, there are many, many factors that are involved in demarcating that moment in time. And of those factors, as we said, is altitude. Of those factors is season. It's very interesting to know that sunsets in the summer will have different variations of twilight and different shades of twilight than sunset in the winter. As well of the factors that affect uh, the exact timing is the air pollution. We call it, there's something called uh, uh, air dust and air pollution, dust particles. And what that does is, is that it, it, it um, makes it difficult for us to once again uh, verify uh, when exactly that whitish thread can be seen. And two people standing next to each other can disagree and both of them are trained and both of them are specialists. They can disagree about the exact minute that that whitish thread becomes absolutely clearly visible from the darkish thread. You cannot predict this. It depends on too many variables. As we said, time, location, season, person, person's eyesight, observation, a bit of ijtihad also in terms of, in terms of when it is exactly the straight line because the problem is that the, the, white, the, the, the uh, false dawn, which occurs uh, basically uh, after 18, degrees, the false dawn, the whitishness begins. And then the true dawn, when the whitishness becomes a very clear thread that is very visible. And the, as we said, the exact minute that happens, it is very, very difficult to, uh, to uh, demarcate. And we have to also realize, somebody can say, okay, what's the big deal? Just stop eating, you know, uh, some time before uh, all of this. And we say, if you're able to do that, alhamdulillah. 
if you're able to give 15, 20 minutes, you know, extra time, that's great. But let's be real here. And especially where uh, in some places the fast might be 18 hours or something. Not everybody can wake up, you know, two hours before, an hour and a half before, and every single minute counts. As well, what if somebody wakes up late and they have to look at the time and five, 10 minutes left? We really need to know as accurately as possible. And also, dear brothers and sisters, and this is a very important point, it is a part of the sunnah to eat and drink until a little bit before the adhan. It is a part of the sunnah to do so. And there's nothing wrong with eating and drinking until the very adhan. In fact, so much so that our Prophet ﷺ, there used to be two mu'adhins in Medina, by the way. All of you should know this. There was Bilal and there was Ibn Ummi Maktoum. And Bilal would give the adhan earlier than Ibn Ummi Maktoum. There was some time frame between the two of them. And Ibn Ummi Maktoum was blind. And Bilal would give the adhan. And then after a while, Ibn Ummi Maktoum would give the adhan. And our Prophet ﷺ said that, Inna Bilalan yu'adhiru bilaylin. Bilal gives the adhan at night. فَكُلُوا وَشْرَبُوا حَتَّى يُؤَذِّنَ إِبْنُ أُمِّ مَكْتُومِ Go ahead and eat and drink until Ibn Ummi Maktoum gives the adhan. And the difference between the two was only a few minutes according to some reports. And according to others, sometimes it went longer. And because Ibn Ummi Maktoum was blind, he would rely on somebody else to alert him that they could see the visible whiteness. And sometimes he would be late and people would say, hey, there's white, there's whiteness, I can see the dawn. And so he would then give the adhan. So the Prophet ﷺ explicitly said, go ahead and eat and drink even after the adhan of Bilal because Bilal is doing too early and uh, Ibn Umm Maktoum is doing it closer to the uh, time. And this shows us that Allah wants ease for us and Allah wants to make things uh, uh, not difficult for us. And therefore, there is nothing wrong with figuring out basically as, as accurately as we can when the imsak time, when the stop time is, and we then eat, you know, uh, yes, give one, one or two minutes gap or five minutes gap, no problem, it's good if you do that. But in case you're not able to, then go ahead and eat until that time. So much so, our Prophet ﷺ said that if the glass of water is in one of your hands, I had the water, had to drink it. If the glass of water is in one of your hands and you hear the adhan, go ahead and take your fill from it before you put it down. Subhanallah, that's how beautiful our sharia is. Not that you intentionally delay drinking till you hear the adhan, but what if you are drinking and suppose it's 5.35 in your calendar and you're like, oh my God, it's 5.35. Well, the water is in your hand. It's like, just take the sip and put it down. It's not to a millisecond. It's a, you know, as accurate as you can, but don't make Islam more difficult uh, than what the sharia wants it to be. So based upon this now, let us see if we can uh, take a quick look at a video about the different types of uh, twilights that, and, and understand really what we're talking about. Astronomical twilight versus civil twilight versus nautical twilight. So let's put the video on, okay? This is a video that I found on YouTube and each second is a minute. Now this is nighttime, okay? You don't see any light. Now astronomical twilight, look how dark it is. Look how dark it is. This is not the time of Fajr. Not at all, look, complete dark. Ah, but see what's happening. Slowly the light is coming. Slowly we see it. Now there's the false dawn. If you look carefully, you can see the whitish bit coming there. Okay, you can see a little bit of a, a background if you like white. You see that in there. Aha, now you see. You see slowly it's coming. Now nautical twilight begins. You see this is now nautical. Then 
We keep on going, every second is a minute, look at the time clock, nautical twilight. Still, this is nautical twilight, okay? And then after nautical will be what? Will be the civil twilight. Look at how bright now the civil is. Let's wait till the civil and you will see how much it is. Still, mashallah, still in the nautical here. Now we get to the civil, look how bright it is. You don't even need any uh, fake lights here. You don't need any, uh, this is still the sun has not risen and it is civil twilight here, okay? This is now, the sun is uh, within 12 degrees and it's still coming until finally when the sun actually, ah, we see the sun, you see the tip of the sun, when the sun actually hits there, that is when the actual, there you see that khalas, bismillah, tabarakallah. Then the fajr time finishes, that is the actual dawn, okay? So we can now come back over here. now. I hope you, you understood from this video. This video is very, very, very clear, dear brothers and sisters. And by the way, this is on YouTube. You can Google it. It's a very high definition. Somebody did it, uh, amateur. Uh, well, it looks very professional, mashallah, but it's just one of our, uh, some, somebody put it, put it online. And it's a very good video that demonstrates the reality of what astronomical dawn is. And again, I reiterate, astronomical dawn for our eyes is pitch black, pitch black. There is no actual Fajr uh, al-Sadiq. Uh, you cannot see it at astronomical dawn. And many of our uh, uh, early ulama, uh, they gave the 18 degrees fatwa based on their own uh, original calculations. And uh, other ulama objected to that. And we're gonna come to this point here that it is true that a lot of, uh, of earlier councils did consider 18 degrees to be the time for Fajr. And uh, one of the Muslim astronomer historians by the name of Muhammad Ilyas, he has a book called Astronomy of Islamic Times for the 21st Century. And in this book, uh, he says that 18 degrees was a commonly used value for Fajr and Isha in the medieval period, and it was based on careful observation. Okay, end quote. V valid point, and I agree, in my, and I've done uh, quite a lot of research in this regard, yes, a lot of earlier um, uh, astronomers of the Muslim community did say 18 degrees. However, 18 degrees when they're talking about is not necessarily the timing of imsak. It is the timing of astronomical dawn. And astronomical dawn is not the same as imsak. And a number of early authorities pointed this out, including the famous polymath Abu Rayhan al-Bayruni, who died 1048. By the way, I have an entire lecture on al-Bayruni. If you log on to my YouTube channel, you can listen to the polymath al-Bayruni, one of the greatest minds of the Ummah, and I have an entire hour lecture about his life and times. Al-Bayruni mentions that 15 degrees is the Islamic twilight. He, he mentions the 15 degrees. Another early astronomer, Al-Jaghmini, who died 1344, also mentions 15 degrees. And Al-Barjandi, who died 1528, also said that 15 is a better calculation for the Imsak. So we do have other scholars from earlier time frames mentioning that, hey, 18 isn't the Imsak time. Imsak is actually after this point, and they suggested the degrees of 15. And also, by the way, again, they're very, the, the way that they calculated and the, uh, the exactly what they're calculating, a number of modern Muslim astronomer historians and, and scientists have pointed out that there is actually a, a number of variables from our calculations to theirs. So we should take their numbers with a bit of a grain of salt. Now, in our times, throughout the world, groups of scholars, when I say scholars here, I mean both ulama and astronomers have 
visually observed the timings of the imsak, the timings of the sunrise and sunset. And generally speaking, across the globe, the number 18 has not been verified. So by visual sightings, the default is that it is not 18, it is less than 18. And uh, uh, one of the, the, the scholars uh, of, of uh, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia by the name of Sheikh Abdul Aziz Al-Fawzan, uh, who is one of my mentors and teachers, uh, may Allah uh, free him from prison, uh, that uh, he did a survey, an extensive survey with a team of observers. And he went out to the deserts of Riyadh and he uh, concluded that the actual Fajr begins at, begins at 15 degrees, 15 degrees. Uh, also, uh, a decade ago, a number of Jordanian scientists, most of them were actually astronomers, trained in astronomy and one or two ulama, uh, they went out into the Jordanian desert uh, outside of Amman and they published their findings, you can find it online. And they documented that again in their opinion, 15 degrees was a better angle for Imsak. Uh, in 1983, uh, a group of, of uh, ulama from the UK, they documented their findings for a number of months and I have a, a copy of that book. And uh, throughout the year, they documented it and it varied from 12 degrees to 16 degrees throughout the year, depending on the season, from 12 degrees to 16 degrees. And similarly, in 1988, another group from the UK called Hizbul Ulama, they published a report, and again, this is published, you can find this, and I have a copy of it as well, that they performed daily observations throughout the entire year. And once again, their number fluctuated, beginning from 12 degrees at some times of the year, 12 degrees. By the way, England is of course higher than us in America, right? In terms of latitude, and that's why, as I said, one number cannot be used globally. It doesn't make sense. One number cannot be used globally. And to just stick with 18, actually, it doesn't even make astronomical uh, sense. But in any case, uh, they documented that from season to season it varied and they went from 12 and yes, during some seasons it went up to 18. Here in America, moonsighting.com is uh, one of the premier websites that collects uh, data uh, from around uh, the, the, uh, the country and different observers uh, in America and in Canada have put in their, their observations to uh, the, uh, the, the group of scientists that are, these are all Muslim astronomers at moonsighting.com and they have calculated that for North America, generally speaking, uh, the angle for Fajr is 14.8 to 17.2. This is the general for North America. And for Isha, they said 11 to 17 throughout the season, it, it varies. As well, me personally, I have a number of trusted friends and colleagues of mine who uh, in the deserts of California, they, they spent an entire month before Fajr going out and three or four people would stand in a line and they would write observations without talking to one another so that they can then compare later on. And they would independently record when they saw the actual Fajr uh, as-sadiq and generally speaking, the average was once again 15 degrees plus or minus 1.5 degrees. So, you know, the average amongst them was closer to 15 than it was to 18. And so, Based upon all of these variables and all of these um, uh, issues that I mentioned, uh, the Fiqh Council of North America, which in your app is called ISNA, uh, actually ISNA simply follows the Fiqh Council of North America, uh, and the Fiqh Council of North America is the 
oldest uh, council of fiqh based in North America. Uh, and alhamdulillah, I'm uh, one of the current members, one of the younger members actually. There are far senior scholars to me, Dr. Muzammar Siddiqi, uh, Dr. Zulfiqar Ali Shah, Dr. Zainab Al-Alwani. Many uh, people are there. Uh, Sheikh Mustafa Umar is there and uh, others um, uh, of the people of knowledge are there. So the fiqh council of North America, based on all of these factors that I have explained in the previous 20-30 uh, minutes, they have said that for North America, this is not a global fatwa, for North America, meaning USA and Canada, an average of 15 degrees is acceptable. Right, this is acceptable. An average of 15 degrees is acceptable. And therefore, the apps that you have, if you put in Isna, you're gonna get 15 degrees. And if you put in Umm Al-Qura, you will get 18. And if you put in another, uh, I don't wanna mention, but I forgot which one, but one of them is like 13 degrees, for example. So depending on which of the uh, names that you put in, because there are some councils around the globe, uh, one council in Europe uh, re recommended around 13 degrees, for example. And that's fine maybe for Europe, because we're gonna come to this point in the second question today that Europe is a different scenario and Northern Europe is a different scenario than uh, South Africa for example, right? You cannot use the same number across the entire globe and uh, therefore based on all of this we conclude as follows that dear brother or sister who is watching this was for information purposes only in the end you will follow your community your government if it's a muslim government your mufti follow the people of your town or your locality however if it so happens that uh, you do not have a unified land of muslims that you're in and your own masajid have differed and so one masjid to the right of you has this the other masjid to the left of you has that and you are completely you know uh, confused what to do you should just simply be aware that the fiqh council of north america has uh, recommended 15 degrees as a good average. And if you put that into your app, and again, this is only for North America, uh, each of the lands that is especially extremely north or extremely uh, uh, south, closer to the, uh, the North or South Pole, they should ask their local uh, uh, scholars about which degree uh, fits best. And I do know that, as I said, in some lands of Europe, uh, there are some councils that have gone less than 15. Because again, so if you go a higher number, you're going down. So a higher number means that is gonna be earlier. So an 18 degree, 18 degrees versus a 15 degrees uh, might be a difference here in America. I'm, I'm in the state of Texas. And in Texas, the two charts between 18 and 15 typically are 20 minutes. 20 minutes, that's it. 15 minutes sometimes, okay? So 15 minutes, 20 minutes, it's not that big of a, a, of a difference. However, if you were to go to uh, northern parts, let's say of, of even Canada, right? You go to some of those small places, Edmonton or one of those you know, places up there in, uh, in Canada, you might actually get a difference of an hour or 50 minutes between 18 degrees versus 15 degrees. And then in Europe, you might even get a completely different uh, reality altogether. So in the end of the day, I hope that inshallah, this explains to you why there's a difference of opinion and that there is no scientific equation. There is a vague estimation about which degree of angle should be used when the sun is below the horizon. And for North America, uh, the Fiqh Council of North America recommends 15 degrees to be a reasonable uh, estimate for the entire uh, portion of the world that we live in and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Our next question, brother Ghulam from Norway emails and he says that in Norway the days go exceedingly long and in some parts of Norway the sun does not even set 
And so how should fasting be done in those lands in which there is no sunrise or sunset and they're extremely close to the North or the South Poles? So this question comes to us from the other side of the world, from a land far, far away. And uh, on a personal anecdote, I actually visited Norway. And when I went to uh, Norway, um, I uh, intentionally took a trip to the northernmost city uh, that had a masjid at the time. And I heard that after that time, there's a masjid that is even more north than that. And I visited, this is 2014, I believe. There's a YouTube video, just Google my name in Norway and the city is called Tromso, T-R-O-M-S-O. So I, I wanted to visit the masjid that is the closest to the North Pole. So uh, I took a trip specifically to go visit that masjid. There's a small musalla. I gave the khutbah there, interacted with, there was at least 150 people uh, in, the, in the masjid over there. So I visited this land uh, and the smallest uh, or the, the, the northernmost masjid in the world. Then I found out that uh, a few years ago, a community in a city or village above them also built a masjid. MashaAllah, tabarakallah, look where you know Islam has spread around the globe. And when I visited uh, Tromso, it was interesting to see that all of the houses, their windows, and I lived in one of the brothers' houses over over there, I spent the night over there, the, their windows have special shutters that when you press the button, it becomes 100% dark. And I said, what is the need, need for this? And he said that for most of the year, there, either there is perpetual sunlight or there is no sunlight whatsoever. For four to five months of the year, the sun is up. And then for the next, you know, then there's a, a month or two which in, in which there's a little bit of day and night. And then next four and five months, there is no sun whatsoever. So if you wake up at 2 a.m., uh, the sun will be above you. 2 a.m. and the sun has not gone up. And in that, in that time frame, in the, I went in the winter months, so it was a, a little bit of, of uh, night and then most of it was dark. Uh, but if you go uh, in the middle of the summer or in the middle of the winter, it will be full sunlight or full darkness. And if you look at the sun in the, the, the summertime, it won't go up and down. It's amazing. The sun will go round above you. If you look up there, if you look up at one time, it's going to be there. And then there, 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 it's just going to go round in a circle. That's how the sun rises and sets, right? This is in the northernmost. This is not in the capital in, in, in Oslo, but to up north in, in Tromso and other places close to the uh, North Pole. Now our brother is asking, what is to be done in those lands where uh, the, the, the days of the fast are extremely long or maybe even no sunrise and sunset? And the response to this, this is a very, very convoluted topic and there are over 10 opinions on this issue, no exaggeration. And once again, like I explained in my last um, Q&A, for those of you that are watching the full, if you are watching this a separate clip, then the previous Q&A was about the degrees of your following. And I said the same thing then, the degrees of uh, Fajr, the same thing I said there, I will say here, which is all of this Q&A for today is for information purposes only. It's just for you to know, in the end of the day, you will follow your local sheikh. You will follow your local masjid and community. You will follow what your people are doing. This is just for information purposes uh, for those that are living far away. Or uh, if a community or a board member is in charge and they don't know any better, they can listen to some advice from many people. This is one of the advice that they will listen to. And then they can make an informed decision if they are the ones in charge. Otherwise, the average Muslim simply follows their local authorities. And especially when it comes to these types of culture sensitive issues, I have always 
always um, said that stick with your local ulama for the specifics. I can speak generics and I'm, I will speak generics and I'll give you a number of opinions that are well known in the global community. But in the end of the day, uh, my own personal opinion is that you should not listen to my opinion. You should listen to the opinion of ulama who live amongst you and who understand the dynamics and the pros and cons in a better manner. I don't live amongst you. And therefore, I might have, a, and I do have my own hypothetical, uh, uh, what I consider to be the strongest position, but I hesitate to tell you to do it because I don't live in your lands. And I want you to follow trained ulama, reputable ulama who live in your lands. If you have an alim in your town or village up north in, in um, uh, Norway, follow. If not, the local communities closest to you or in Oslo or other places, there are plenty of uh, scholars in Oslo. I've met a number of them. So you should go to those ulama and find out from them because they understand the situation far better than I do because they live amongst you. So again, the answer today is for educational purposes, for information purposes. Purposes. It's not, I'm not telling you specifically which one you should follow. That is something that uh, it is culturally uh, uh, sensitive and there are perhaps dynamics I'm not fully aware of. And there are perhaps issues that I'm not cognizant of because I'm speaking to you from a, another land. Nonetheless, for information purposes, it's interesting for the rest of us to know. This is not a new issue and in fact, uh, even in the Ottoman times, there was a lot of back and forth because the Ottomans, they conquered what they called the Balkan, the Balk Balkan lands. And they knew of these lands where the sun uh, did not rise or did not set. And so Ottoman muftis in the Hanafi madhab, they gave some fatwas here and there and it trickled down to the other madhab as well. And so you do find a little bit of discussion. However, in modern times, obviously, this issue has uh, been discussed uh, a lot more and many fatwa councils and many ulama around the globe have opined on this issue. And so there are a number of opinions on this issue. And of course, um, uh, before we begin, realize that uh, we're, we're, we're actually talking about the multiple scenarios all at once. The first scenario is that there is a sunrise and sunset, but it's very long. So maybe the fast is 19 hours, 20 hours. Maybe uh, there's a place in, um, I believe in Finland, where the sun does rise and set, but the day is 22 hours long, right? So that's a very long time. But it, there is still sunrise and sunset. Then you have areas where the sunrise and sunset is not quite dark, but it's twilight. And this, for example, even in uh, in Scotland, in places in Scotland, I went to Scotland, uh, 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 northern Scotland, is it Aberdeen or something? And, and I remember clearly that, you know, you walk outside at 11 p.m., 11 p.m. And it's like what we think like 6 p.m. over here, twilight. It's not dark. You think like it's Maghrib or a little bit after Maghrib, right? Well, after Maghrib, but it's not gonna go full dark over there. So that's far north. So it's the, the, the sunrise and sunset there is sunrise and sunset, but there's no darkness. And that's because you're in that twilight area, which is the civil or the nautical twilight. You are not in the astronomical, you don't get beyond that. And then you have the furthest north, which is like Tromso, in which the sun does not even set or rise for months on end. For months, you'll see the sun just go in circles and you wake up at 3 a.m. to pray to Hajjud and the sun is outside, right? And for six months later, you wake up at 3 p.m. and it is pitch black 
dark. And that's another scenario. So what is to be done in all of these uh, places? I'm just gonna summarize the various opinions out there and then I will conclude by telling you to not listen to me, listen to your local ulama. This is for information purposes. Know all of these different fatwas are there. Whichever one you choose, alhamdulillah, ulama bigger than me have said them. And inshallah, fi kullin khair. It's not something that, uh, it's not something that inshallah anybody is gonna be punished over. This is a very difficult scenario, very difficult scenario. Which one is correct? Which one is right? Which one is wrong? Inshallah, they're all rewarded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Follow your community and follow your local ulama. But for information purposes, what, uh, what are some of the opinions out there? So the majority opinion in lands where there is actual sunrise and sunset is that there is simply no other alternative. You must fast according to the sunrise and sunset. And this is the position of the majority of councils and ulama. And they say, even if it goes to 20, 21, 22 hours, then that is the fast. However, if the fast is overwhelming to people, if they have difficult laborious jobs, if a sister is pregnant, if, 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 then obviously uh, the leeway for them is gonna be much lower, the burden is much lower than the leeway for us, right? The burden to not fast. So if your land has a 20 hour long fast, and you're expected to work in the fields, that's your job, or your difficult situation, you're a pregnant lady, for example, but if you were maybe in America and it's 13 hours fast, you could do it. But that's like a 20 hour fast, you cannot do that. So we say the bar has been lowered. And if you're not able to do it, 20 hour fast, then you make up in the month that is easier for you. After two, three months, four months, you make it up for the days that you cannot fast. But technically, if you're able to fast, you fast. And the default for most average men and women, it is possible to fast 18, 19 hours. And this is actually done uh, even as a fad and as a technique for losing weight called intermittent fasting, where people will maybe eat one meal a day and it is fine. They will live like this. It's not a, it is something that is not harmful to the body once the body becomes accustomed to for many people, but not for all. So that is the majority position. However, even in this, there are dissenting uh, voices. Uh, and the Majma' al-Fiqh al-Islami, which is one of the bodies that I look up to the most, they actually also give the exact same fatwa, that as long as there is actual sunrise and sunset, well then, we're gonna have to go with sunrise and sunset. And even if it's long, that will be the fast. However, what is to be done if it is more north than sunrise and sunset, then you don't actually have sunrise and sunset. This is where we have a number of opinions. One of the scholars of the last generation, Sheikh Mustafa Zarqa, he said that any time the fast is unreasonably long, and he didn't define unreasonably long, but he said even when there's sunrise and sunset, if it's 20 hours or something, that in that case, he said, the people can follow Mecca. They can follow Mecca. Or they can follow the closest Muslim land where the fasts are reasonable. And the uh, Majma' al-Fiqh al-Islami, they said, that if there is no sunrise and sunset, then they should follow the closest land where there are Muslims residing, where there is sunrise and sunset, and that will become their timing. So if you are in North Norway, and there's no sunrise and sunset, you will look to South Norway, Oslo for example. Oslo generally has sunrise and sunset. So you will look to Oslo, and the timings of Oslo, or I'm just giving an example, the timings of the city where there are Muslims, 
and there is sunrise and sunset will become your timings uh, north to that. And this is the fatwa of the Majma' al-Fiqh al-Islami and it is the one that I personally am uh, sympathetic to. But again, don't listen to me, listen to your local um, ulama. Uh, Dr. Muhammad Hamidullah, and by the way, this fatwa is also the fatwa of the Dar al-Iftah of Saudi Arabia, also my teacher Sheikh bin Uthaymeen and also Sheikh bin Baz and others, they also give the same fatwa that the people living in those lands where there is no sunrise and sunset should look to the closest lands south of them, the closest cities south of them where there are Muslims residing and where fasting is taking place and there is sunrise and sunset and take the timings from them. Uh, another scholar, Dr. Muhammad Hamidullah, a great alim of hadith and a uh, person who authored many, many books and discovered many treatises. Dr. Muhammad Hamidullah, he had an interesting fatwa that in those lands, far north or whatnot, we should simply take a minimum, a maximum and do a cutoff beyond that. And for reasons beyond the scope of my lecture today, he said eight to 16. So eight hours is the minimum fast. Therefore, because you see guys, we're talking about the long days, do realize in uh, 15, 20 years when Ramadan comes in December, right? Literally, no exaggeration, in some of these lands, the fast is gonna be two hours. Okay, so you have a full suhoor. By the time it comes to iftar, you're like, yeah, it's all right, I'm full, I don't need to eat, you know. Because that's, you're gonna have a full suhoor, right? And then you're not gonna eat in two hours. So Sheikh uh, Hamidullah said, just like the people have to suffer in the winter, in the summertime, so then uh, in the winter time, we have to do something for them. So what did he suggest? He suggested, you extend the smallest days to at least six hours, uh, uh, sorry, uh, eight hours, eight hours, excuse me. You extend the smallest days to eight hours and you cut off the longest days to 16 hours. So if the fast is 22 hours, you say 16 for them. You start at suhoor, whenever there's fajr, and then 16 hours later, you call it a day until you get to the eight hours. That was his fatwa. And again, yeah, he has his, his um, reasons uh, for that. Another great scholar of the last generation, uh, a great alim and a person who really did a lot for the Muslims of the ummah, Sheikh Faisal Molvi, Sheikh Faisal Molvi of Lebanon. He was a very learned uh, author. Uh, he said uh, that uh, those lands in which the sun sets at least 12 degrees below the horizon, i.e. we're talking about the nautical uh, twilight and the nautical dawn, that they should simply follow the nautical and not the astronomical. And so he basically said, use the smallest degree possible and stick with uh, that. And that's a position that is an interesting uh, position. Yet another opinion, states that they should follow the timings of the sunrise and sunset of their own locality on the last day that there was an actual sunrise and sunset, right? And so even in Tromso, even in that little village up there, there is a sunrise and sunset for a period of the year. Then for the bulk of the year, it goes away. The last day there was an actual sunrise and sunset, they should take that and keep it as their fast until the next uh, sunrise, sunset, and then that will be the next, you know, portion over there. Uh, and then the final fatwa I will mention, and of course there's actually more than these, the final fatwa I'll mention is the fatwa of the Darul Ifta of Egypt, uh, which is uh, part of uh, connected with Azhar University as well. And the Darul Ifta of Egypt is perhaps the fatwa that is most commonly done by many of the Muslim communities up north. When I visited Tromso, they told me that this is the fatwa they were using back then. This is like seven years ago. I don't know what this is the situation now. And the Darul Ifta of Egypt, they said that in those northern lands, the people should follow Mecca. And so the, the timing, of, uh, meaning 
When I say the timings, I mean how long is the fast of Mecca? If it's 14 hours, 15 hours, 13 hours, however long it is, right? Uh, generally, the fasts are generally around uh, 14 hours, right? Generally in, in, in Arabia. So they should look at Mecca and the timing of the Ramadan, uh, how many hours is the fast? They then start from Fajr whenever they're gonna pray Fajr. And from that, they simply add the timings of Mecca, 14 and a half hours, if it is 14 and a half hours, and then they break over there. So they use that as an arbitrary reference because they said Mecca is the holy city and they have their reasons for uh, doing so. To conclude all of this, dear brothers and sisters, I mean, my position already, I already explained to you that which one I'm sympathetic to, but in the end of the day, I do not advise you to follow me. I advise you to follow your local scholars of your lands who live amongst you and who understand really the, the ramifications and the pros and cons of each of these uh, positions and who understand um, uh, other things that I might not be able to see from my uh, perspective. And at the end of the day, the unity of the Muslims is more important. Alhamdulillah, all of these positions are there. Whichever position you follow, there is khair and good in it. The most important thing, you fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as much as you can. And dear brothers and sisters, wherever you are in the world, if the fasting is really not possible for you medically, you will fall sick. A reputable doctor tells you that if you have you know, diabetes or something of this nature and you cannot fast for 17 hours, 20 hours, even if it's 12 hours and you're a diabetic and you cannot fast, remember, you then constitute a sick patient and a sick patient by the explicit text of the Quran. Allah says in the Quran, if you are sick, then don't fast. Don't worry about fasting. If you become cured, make it up. If not, then you give a kafara. Do not make the religion more difficult. Fasting is an obligation for those who are capable of doing it. Therefore, if you're capable of doing it, given your circumstances, alhamdulillah. If not, alhamdulillah. And there are alternatives that need to be done with that. Inshallah ta'ala, I will see you next week. Until then, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. شهر رمضان الذي أنزل فيه القرآن هدى للناس وبينات من الهدى والفرقان فمن شهد منكم الشهر فليصم ومن كان مريضا أو على سفر فعدة من أيام أخر يريد الله بكم اليسر ولا يريد بكم العسر ولتكملوا العدة ولتكبروا الله على ما هداكم ولعلكم تشكرون